Last week we kicked off a series uh, and we're calling it Becoming Us and we're looking at our team, the church, our team uh, that we're part of now that we're a part of God's family and the church comes from a word called ecclesia and that word means the called out ones. So you're called out. You're called out of darkness, First Peter talks about, and you're called into light. And so you don't have to live in darkness anymore. You can live in light. And so we're walking through Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. Corinth, uh, the city of Corinth, where these people lived, it was an ancient trade city. It had a reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. And last week when we were talking about this, we're like, wow. That sounds familiar. We live in an age that has a reputation for sexual immorality, religious diversity, and corruption. And Paul was trying to help these people become everything that God has for them. The first issue that he addressed was the divisions in the church. And so what these guys were doing was they were coming together and they would say, well, uh, I like Paul. Like Paul's my guy. Paul's the, uh, every time he comes out with a new book, like I want to read his stuff, you know, every time. And then there's another guy named Apollos. Well, every time Apollos comes to town, like I'm going to go to his event. And, and then there was another guy that they called Cephas, which was Peter, right? We know we've heard of Peter in the Bible when Peter came to town. And so there's people saying, well, I follow this guy and I follow that guy and I follow that guy. And because of that, there was divisions that were happening in the church. And the church is really struggling with this to this day. All you got to do is get on social media for just a little bit and everybody's got an opinion and everybody's following somebody and everybody's against someone else or turn on the TV. Everybody's against in the church. Instead of saying, you know what, we're going to be different. We're going to be called out of darkness into light. Sometimes what happens with us is we just can end up doing the same thing that we see in our culture. And Paul's saying, guys, you can't do this. And so he was telling them that the challenge that he gave the Corinthian church that we looked at last week was this. Guys, don't look at the people that you're following. Don't look at men. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at what Jesus is doing. Look at what Jesus is doing in you and through you and and follow him. So this week we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and the first part of chapter 2 and we're going to look and see where he goes from there. Many of you know that Along with serving as your pastor here at Connective Church, I've got a, a day job and I'm, I'm a creative director and I work for a large network of charter schools. We have like 20,000 students. It's a big thing like that we do. And what I do there is I, I, I'm the creative director, so I, I brand and I, I oversee like the design and all the stuff that, that they do to kind of help market the school. While I was in Bible college studying to become a pastor, God actually allowed me to apprentice with a church denomination to learn how to do that. And so I can build websites and logos and graphics and things like that. And I learned how to do that while I was in Bible college. And throughout my pastoral ministry, I continued to do that kind of as a freelancer. I was a pastor doing that on the side, freelancing, raising some extra money. And what God did is when we went to plant this church, God allowed me to take that marketable skill that he'd been developing me over time and use that to provide for my family so that we could get this church launched and healthy on a financial footing, right? That's what we did. And so, uh, side note to that, some of us think that, you know, like this, where I'm at right now just doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. The season that I'm in, this is not, I know this is not where God wants me, and, 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 and it just doesn't make any sense. But I want to tell you from my story that God is in control of the journey that he has you on. You need to know that. God is in control over the journey that he has you on. And you may be wondering now why he's got you in this place. 
or working for this person or doing that job, when in reality, he can be preparing you for this season that you don't know is coming yet, right? He's preparing you for a season that you don't know what is coming yet. So my challenge is never complain about what your hands find to do because God can use that to help you accomplish his mission that he puts you on this earth to accomplish. If I would have said, no, I'm a pastor and I'm only a pastor and I only want to be a pastor ever and I hadn't taken the time to develop other sets of skills in my life, what would have happened is when, we, when Liz and I sat there and planted the church, I'd have been like, okay, well, Liz, um, you know, we're like any business, you're trying to get off the ground. There's no salary in that. Anybody else started a business here? Like, you don't, you don't do that. And so I'd have been like, Liz, well, all of our family's finances have got to be on you now. Like, I would have to do that. But instead, God gave me this other skill, this other thing, so I could do that. And so part of being a creative director is graphic design and overseeing our brands. And Monday through Friday, I pull into a parking lot on uh, Chandler and, uh, or on Gilbert Road and Queen Creek Road. And I walk into a building with the logo that I designed on the building. That's a surreal experience. That's a really, really weird thing to walk in and be like, I did that. It's a big, massive thing on the road. Thousands of people see it every day. But it's something that I did. But branding, when we're talking about branding, it's so much more than a logo. It's how a customer feels when you interact, when they interact with your company. The thing I love the most is a number one with no pickles from Chick-fil-A. I love that, all right? That's my jam, right? Number one, anybody else Chick-fil-A fans in the house? Like, number one, no pickles from Chick-fil-A. And, 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 but listen, when I've had a hard meeting in the morning, and it comes to lunchtime, there have been times where I've been like, you know what? I don't really want Chick-fil-A because I've had it too many times in the past week. But I really want someone just to be kind and courteous and nice and glad that I'm there and not rude to me, and not treating me like I'm an inconvenience, and all that stuff, and so I'm like, well, I guess I'll go through the drive-thru at Chick-fil-A, right? That's what I do, like, all right, you know, and, and so I'll, I'll go through, and I'll get my number one with no pickles, and, and I'll just do that, because I want just, I want somebody to be nice and courteous to me. That's what I want. That's part of their brand, and employee courtesy is part of their brand. I had a, a buddy that used to um, he used to go through the drive through at Chick-fil-A and he would say like really nice things to the people like, man, uh, you know, the, the, your, your hair looks really nice how you have it today. Or, or man, you did a really job getting, good job getting this order out faster. He would say all these nice things to try to get them to say thank you so that he could say my pleasure. Because that's what they say to you. When you tell them thank you, they say my pleasure, right? Who says that nowadays? Who says my, Chick-fil-A does. That's their brand, right? That's what they're a part of. And so corporations, they spend huge amounts of money on logos and branding. They hire a agencies and people like me to come in and, and, and help get the qualities that they want in their corporation and put them into the minds of the public. These things are usually like stability and reliability and progressiveness and aggressiveness or whatever it is. And they design, these designs appear on letterheads and products and, and people think about them. Like for instance, the Nike logo, which today is worth billions of dollars. Did you know that that was paid for? It was designed by a Portland art student and they paid $35 for that logo. The Nike logo, $35 for that logo. What an organization absolutely would not do which would seem crazy is to pick something that was like a, a electric chair or a hangman's noose. They wouldn't do that. That would just be insane as a logo. And yet our team, Christians, 
we come up underneath the sign of the cross. The cross was a Roman uh, way of executing someone. It was inhumane. It was the most inhumane uh, way of inflicting suffering that they could possibly think of in that day. It was the most common method of execution. In Luke chapter 13, it tells us that when Jesus died, there were two thieves on his right and on his left. You know, and we, we look at pictures of, of the cross today. You see the, the cross on the hill and you see three crosses. That doesn't necessarily mean that day that there was only three people. The Bible just tells us there was somebody on his right and somebody on his left. There could have been 15 guys there. Those are just the two guys that Jesus could talk to, right? So it was a, it was a normal way uh, for the Romans to execute people. And it was brutal. It was a brutal sign. But yet it's a symbol universally recognized today as almost the logo of Christianity. Everyone falls up underneath that. Everybody sees it. Everybody looks at the cross and they say, that's us. That's what we're part of. In the crucifixion, the accused person would be lifted high into the air, often naked for all to see. And this, for them to know, the Romans would say, it was a statement, they would say, this is what happens when you question the might of Rome. They would take a person, they would crucify him, suffering, pain, anguish. It would take hours and hours, if not days, for a person to die up on a cross. And, and, and Jesus said this in, in John chapter 12, verse 32 and 33. He said, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, that wasn't a sign of, of, of praise and worship. Like, well, when we praise and worship Jesus. No, he's saying literally, when I am put on a cross above the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So today the cross uh, carries deeper meaning for you and I. It's an ultimate sign of love. It's no longer a sign. When we look at a cross, we don't see, oh, that's, well, that was a method of Roman execution. That's not what we see. And so Christians have kind of co-opted this object, this symbol. And when we look at it, we see that it's God's ultimate sign of love. It was the accomplishment of God's mission to restore humanity, you and I, through Jesus' ultimate sacrifice. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus said this, Greater love has no man than this, than someone who lays down his life for his friends. And so today, churches often point to the cross, and, and it's our mark, it's our logo. They, 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 we have crosses on our buildings, and, and often at the highest point of the building, we put a cross, and some cro- churches are even shaped like a cross. There are Christian graves that are marked with crosses because we know that through that cross, that gravestone doesn't get the final word. In some traditions, people, all, uh, Christian traditions, they also mark themselves with a cross in times of celebration or, or, or danger or anxiety. You actually see them cross put do the symbol of a cross on themselves and so we've changed the meaning of what this is but really the meaning is still that Jesus died so that we may live Jesus died so that we may live first Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18 for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of of God. The cross reminds us that death does not get the final word. It is a comma in the sentence, not the period. 
It is a comma in the sentence, not the period. When, when Jesus died on the cross, that wasn't it. The cross did not get the final word. It reminds us that death does not get the final word, but that resurrection got the final word. Life got the final word. And when we look at the cross, we see that we can be delivered. We can be set free. We, can, we don't have to live in our old ways, in our old darkness, in our old way of death. We can be set free because of the work that Jesus did on the cross. Some of us have have done things and we've said things or we've had things happen to us and we think there's no way I can come back for this. You ever had that feeling? You ever just had an awkward conversation? It doesn't have to be like this big major mistake. Just be an awkward conversation at work or something like that and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to come back. I don't know how I'm going to save this, you know? Maybe someone, maybe it could be as simple as you went in for the handshake and they went in for a hug and you're like, I don't know, this is weird. You know, like there's no way around this. And some of us, we get into a stage in life where our sin actually puts us into a place where we get to that place spiritually. There's no way I can come back from this. There's no way. It's just too awkward. It's just too weird. It's just too bad. What I did was so bad. But when we look to the cross, it's a reminder, not, not that this thing is a, pow, a cruel object of torture and execution, but it's a reminder that Jesus has power over even death. And so you and I, we can be set free. There is a way back from wherever that we find ourselves in, whatever situation we find ourselves in, because of the cross. And as Paul is addressing the church in Corinth, with all of their strife and all of their division and all of their separation and everybody saying, I follow this guy and I follow that guy. And he's trying to pull it back and he's trying to say, guys, remember what this is all about. He points them to the cross. And what we see in that is that Jesus didn't come to get praise from people. If it was today, Jesus could care less about how many Facebook friends he had or Instagram followers or how many retweets he got. He wouldn't care how often he got promoted at work. He didn't care about his power or his prestige. When you actually read the Gospels, when Jesus performed a miracle for someone, we just sang a song about miracles. When Jesus performed a miracle for someone, he would say, don't tell anybody that this just happened. Don't tell anybody that. Like Jesus was not concerned with power and with prestige. And when we look at the cross, we're reminded that he came and he laid his life down. So in the church of people that are full of, in a church that was full of people in Corinth that were hungry for power and prestige and positions, Paul tells them, look at the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Where is the one who is wise. Where's the scribe? Where's the person writing all the books among you? Where's the debater of this age? Who's the one that can just destroy any arguments against anybody? Where's that person? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, and it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. How can the gospel of Christ be in a form of worldly wisdom when it proclaims a crucified leader, Jesus? 
He says it was, it was a, a stumbling block to the Jews. The Jews were, were waiting on Messiah, the foretold deliverer who would break the yoke of oppression that, and set God's people free. But when Jesus came, he was crucified on a Roman cross. He died on, uh, by the way of the oppressor. So the, to the Jew, this was a sign of oppression winning. Jesus couldn't have died there. He shouldn't have died there. He would have come miraculously off the cross and he would have brought death on all the oppressors. And so when the the Jews looked at the cross, they saw a stumbling block. When the Greeks looked at it, the Greeks believed that the highest attribute was wisdom. The highest thing you could do was make great decisions. And Plato said this, he said, wisdom always makes men fortunate. Wisdom always makes men fortunate. For by wisdom, no man could ever err And therefore, he must act rightly and succeed, or his wisdom would be wisdom no longer. And so these Greeks would look at these things and they would say, well, if you made good decisions, Jesus, you wouldn't have ended up on the cross. Wisdom wouldn't have put you there. And so for the Jews, you see a stumbling block. For the Greeks, you see foolishness. But then Paul says this in verse 24. He says, but to those who are being called, both Jew and Greek, Christ The power of God and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. A pastor in Germany uh, prior to World War II, his name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, wisdom or grace without the cross is what is sold on the market like a cheapskate's wares. Cheap grace means justification for sin without the justification of the sinner. Forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. The world goes on in the same way. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. The cross brings about a whole new way of seeing the world. The cross brings about a whole new way of seeing the world. It's not about power and prestige and position anymore. It doesn't matter in light of the mission of God. Therefore, it's a sign of a new way of thinking. When we look to the cross, we realize that that God is doing something different in us and through us, and he wants us to be a part of that, but it's really all about him. It's not about you and I. It's not about who we can get to serve us, but it's who we can serve. It's not about building our kingdom, but it's about building God's kingdom. And when we come up underneath the sign of the cross, the mark of the cross, what the cross means to you and I, we see that God is challenging us to live differently. Live differently than what we see around us. 1 Corinthians uh, 1 verse 26, Paul continues. He says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Think about where you came from. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. How many of you guys have noble birth in here? Anybody noble birth that I just don't know about? Okay. Anybody like written a bunch of books that we don't know about? Like professors or anything like that? No, no, man. We're just normal people, right? I'm just a normal person. And so Paul's saying, guys, look, think about your own calling. Think about like you're not wise according to worldly standards, not powerful, not of noble birth. But then he says this, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, the cross that they they consider foolish to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ. Jesus, who became 
to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification. That means uh, that we, we can be changed, uh, we can be made holy, and redemption. We can be set free so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. God took a bunch of nobodies. He took a bunch of fishermen. He took a bunch of people who just didn't, didn't know. And he used them to change the world. A guy named Ben Witherington said this, Salvation in Christ is not a human self-improvement scheme but a radical rescue from a form of slavery out of which one cannot earn or buy one's way out. Paul undercuts all the factors that promote factionalism, all the things that say, I, I know better than you, I'm better than you, I, I, I follow a better person than you, I'm, I'm, I'm in a better camp than you. He undercuts all this by pointing us to the cross. And, he, and Witherington closes with this, he says, Grace is not only the great unifier, but it's also the great leveler in the Christian community. You've heard, it, you've heard this said, the ground at the cross, it's level. It's not about who you are. It's not about what you've done. It's not about where you came from. The cross doesn't show any favoritism like that. We're all sinners. We're all people who need a Savior. We're all people who, 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 who don't have life figured out. We're all people who, who need someone to lead us out of the darkness that we're in. And Paul points to the cross and he says, guys, this is what Jesus did for us. Remind yourself that this is what Jesus did. He continues in 1 Corinthians 2. And when, and, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God, which is a lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not plausible with words of wisdom, but in order to demonstrate the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul could have walked in with all of his credentials and all of his degrees and all of his position. He had them. If you actually study Paul, he had those things. He could have walked in and say, you know what, I, I need this position of leadership in the church. I want this position. He could have thrown down the card that said, I talked to Jesus himself on the road to Damascus. That happened. But he didn't. He came in weakness. He came in, 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 in humility. He came in a way that, that said, I don't want to make more of myself than I, I need to here. I want to get humble. I want to, I want to say, God, it's, it's really not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. It's not about position or, or, or my own wisdom or power or prestige. It's not about that. He did this because he wanted to see the church. He wanted the Corinthians to experience a demonstration. This is what he says, a demonstration of the spirit and of power. He did not want that church to receive the best that Paul had to offer. Because he knew that the best that Paul had to offer wasn't good enough. That God could bring his weakest and it would be better than Paul's best. And so he humbled himself and he said, guys, it's not about me. It's not about rhetoric. It's not about what I can say or what I can convince you. It's not about that. It's about the spirit moving in you and through you. Don't seek 
position. Don't seek wisdom. Don't seek power. Don't seek prestige. Seek Jesus. The cross reminds us that God uses the humble things to transform us. God uses the humble things to transform us. And for you and I, what does that mean? God will not share the stage with you. God will not share the stage with you. If you want to operate in ministry, if you want to operate in in Christianity, if you want to be effective for the kingdom, God will not share the stage with you. If you want to do something great for Him, it's best to get out of the way and let Him shine. It's best to get out of the way and let Him shine. We have to say, God, it's not about me. It's not about who, who I am or the, the crowd I'm building or the people that I'm, I'm, I'm influencing or, or whatever. It's not about me. It's not about the position that I have. It's about the position that I want to put you in, in my life. And when we do that, it's not the best that I can bring to my friends and my neighbors and my family and the people that I come in contact with. It's not the best of me. They're getting God, the Spirit, demonstrating in power, working through me to minister to them wherever they're at. We have to do that. We have to. We have to put God in His rightful place. We have to lift up Jesus, lift up Jesus in our own lives so that He can draw people to Him. It's not about you and me. It's about what God is doing to us.